Hello and welcome to the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Barbara Fisher. Tonight I'm talking with Todd Purse. He is an artist and a creator, and his podcast is called Create Magic. And he also has a segment where he inter interviews, I almost forgot that word, um, other creative people. And the segment is called Creative Weirdos. I've been on that segment. It's a lot of fun. That's why I asked him to come here. Hello, Todd. Hi, Barbara. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to have you. I love talking with artists um, because, uh, you know, there aren't that many of us that are artists that talk. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Artists tend to be like visual people. And, you know, not everybody who's visual can talk about why they're visual. Um, and so I, I'm so excited when I can talk about somebody, talk with somebody about their art and the weird stuff that they like. So, you know, yeah. there's, there's two categories there happening at the same time. So which came first, weird or art? I, it's hard to say in my memory, but I think art, I think art was the first thing. Like I remember drawing those, how to draw books that you could get from like the school library, the how to draw monsters and how to draw Bugs Bunny and like everything. I just got those books over and over again and would just copy. They always started where it's like draw a circle for the head and then a tube for the body and then like construct it out of shapes and then refine it to the actual finish and i just skipped and would go straight to the final drawing and just try and reproduce without doing all the the first steps and right that's yeah, like I think my, all kids do that right yeah it's like you just get to the final part but that's like my earliest memory of drawing like seriously sitting there and putting time into it besides just like being a kid and doodling all over yeah yeah i some of the books i had would do the circle for the head and then the the bean shape for the trunk or whatever mm -hmm. you know and then the, it, it would show you like so to draw an owl you draw a circle and then you draw an oval and then boom it the next picture is the finished owl yeah you know it's <laughs> like so you draw a circle and then an oval and boom it's a bird there you go there you go kid totally. have fun with that <laughs> so yeah <laughs> There always seemed to be a missing step there. I was always like, where is the connecting point? How do you get from this oval to this final drawing of a cartoon character? And yeah, I yeah. I feel like I just went to tracing paper for the longest time and would just trace those shapes over and over again until they just became more comfortable. I, I was just thinking about how tracing paper was like one of my biggest tools growing up. Like I used tracing paper for everything. I just had... I, bunches of pads and I would trace everything out of I had a lot of those illustrated classics books like the mm -hmm. the ones that were very either Howard Pyle or some of those very classic NCY yeah. those type of illustrators and I would just trace like the Pirates of the Caribbean and those images over and over again and I still can't draw or paint like that to this day but like that was the stuff that I just always aspired to or always inspired me yeah yeah I uh I wasn't nearly that focused with my drawing. I just always drew weird stuff. So, you know, weird stylized things. Like I would draw roly-poly people before there were weebles, you know. So draw egg-shaped people with weird feet, and, you know, crazy stuff. Um, and those, I don't know if you might be too young to have gotten those go-to-art school 
uh, ads in magazines that show a cartoon face. It's like, copy this and you can send it to us and maybe you should go to art school. And did they the have cartoon those turtle? when you were a kid? Yeah, the turtle. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a bunny and there was a um, uh, a chipmunk. Oh, really? Something like that. Yeah, That's chipmunk. Awesome. Yeah. And I, it looked, yeah. I did love you, those. Did you, they didn't have them when I was growing up, but just from collecting old comics, I've seen so many of those. And yes. I, I, I love, I mean, that style of advertising in general. And like, I'm pretty sure that was all just a scam, right? Like that was all. Oh, somebody- it was. <laughs> it was. You know, my dad told me that it was just a scam because, you know, I, I copied a thing and showed it to him. I said, look, and he was like, you know, that's a scam, don't you? And I was like, oh, man. He's like, yeah, it sucks, but no, we're not sending however much money because it's not going to be worthwhile. And I was like, well, how do you know? And so he was like, well, just leave it here and come back, you know, and he copied it perfectly. He's like, I copied it perfectly when I was a teenager and sent it and it was a scam, you know. I wasted my my mm-hmm. hard earned money from uh you know uh, snookering people at at pool <laughs> you know <laughs> I was hustling people I, at pool that that was hard earned you know yes yes worked hard for that money it's rightfully <laughs> it's, so yes oh um, love it so yeah and I was like you can draw he goes yeah sometimes I have to look at something but I had no idea that he could draw really you know that. That's interesting. Yeah, that's really weird. (laughs) I was just like, he was like, yeah, you know, mom, my gran, you know, she can draw. And I said, well, yeah, I knew she could. Every time she sits on the phone, she, you know, draws. She had dust blotters full of drawings. I feel like drafting was something you just learned at a certain point in the past. Like it was a skill that was, you know, not as common as math or English or something, but it was a skill that if you were a carpenter, you knew how to draw the plans for it. It was something that drafting was a practical, practical thing you learned. That's not as much the case anymore. Yeah. Yeah. My dad said that in geometry, they learned stuff like that, Um, which he said that was the only math he ever yeah. really was good at because you know it, yeah you actually he connection. probably would have been yeah actually he probably would have been good at trigonometry too just because he hustled pole but because <laughs> he has this instinctive understanding of angles and um descent and ascent so mm-hmm. you know all the things I don't know. I never made it past <laughs> algebra one. They they gave me two years of algebra one and were like, you take business math, which was like, we're going to teach you how to fill out a check. We're going to teach you how to balance a check. It's much more useful than most math, probably. Truly, but they, truly. Never made it to geometry or anything above algebra one. They just uh, put me down there and gave me some extra art classes, which worked out good. <laughs> yeah, that's that certainly would work out well. So... What did you learn in your art classes at school? What Ooh. did you, did you, you know, did you have art teachers that are like, I want you to draw this exactly as it looks and we're going to do this this way. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, <laughs> so in high school, I had a teacher, art teacher, Mr. McGonagall, and he was probably the most like cliche art teacher. Like I went to an all boys Catholic school. You had to wear shirt and tie every day. Like that was, it uh... was, Yep, it was uh, it was quite an experience. So art was definitely a very big escape for me. And the art room 
So it was like a three-story building. The art room was in the basement. It was the last room. You had to walk through the drafting room, and it was literally in like an unfinished hole in the wall. So like you felt like you were going to this like secret society down there. And oh, he God. and it was one of those things that like the first couple art classes I took was nothing. But then so I got diagnosed with um, numeric dyslexia and spatial disorders and all of this stuff throughout high school. And luckily, the way that they chose to handle my case was when I had certain areas that they didn't think was going to be beneficial for me to keep pursuing, they would say, how about you take another art class? So I ended up taking like not just your basic art classes, but I took drafting. I took um, a publication layout and design and I ran like oh, that's the, great. Yeah. So I got like these practical skills along with that kind of stereotypical art teacher side of things. So I kind of got both. And then eventually that led to I took AP art and went to college for two years for uh, illustration. And I mean, I, to be honest with you, I learned more as far as what I do now, all outside of school, like as far as technical ability mm -hmm. and like what the programs I use and like all of that stuff that all came way later. But what art school and like being around other people made me do is realize that half of the trick is just doing the thing. Because even when I was in art school, 80% of the kids didn't want to draw. They didn't want to be there. They weren't, they were just, they had to go to school. So they said, well, I'm going to go to art school. And I just realized that like really to be an artist, to do this thing and like make money off of it or have a career off of it or something like that. Half of the battle is just doing it and doing it consistently and being a nice person while doing it is the other yeah. thing that I learned is yeah. that you I learned a long time ago that I'll never be the most proficient draftsman. I'll never like have these beautifully rendered oil paintings, all these things that like I did dream of growing up like that's not what I can do. But you learn along the way that that doesn't really matter. And those things that you kind of see as hindrances and that you kind of allow as like little roadblocks along the way, you can just lean into them and make them your style and make them work for you as long as you have like a point of view with it. I think that like a point of view is kind of more important than any kind of actual uh, craft or skill that you can really gain as an artist. And it's funny, you started this podcast, Barbara, saying it's nice to talk to another artist. And that word is one that I've noticed from interviewing a bunch of creatives. People don't like, like a lot of professional working artists won't call themselves artists. They'll be mm -hmm. like, I'm an illustrator. I'm a designer. Because mm -hmm. artist has this connotation of like, oh, I connect to the muses and I'm like this. And it has all these weird type of uh, connotations in the public. I feel like that people don't want to really own. And I feel like they, they feel like they're admitting that this is all weirder than they want to admit to a lot of the times. Because mm -hmm. When I drill down and I'm like, well, where do you think your ideas come from? Like when you're when you get that idea and you execute it, whether it's on a canvas or an iPad or whatever it is, you're executing that idea is and you sit back and you say, oh, I think I did it. Where do you think that original spark came from and no one takes ownership of it like no artist i've talked to is like oh that came from my head they're like i don't know where that came from i don't or they already are kind of into the weird stuff and they're like well i tap into the global consciousness mm -hmm. and it comes downloads and yeah so it's it's interesting yeah. to see that that like people have this hesitation to even call themselves artists sometimes let alone talk about their art which is you know a whole other level of it <laughs> yeah lots of lots of artists don't talk about it like in a in a way that that 
uh, it, for one thing, they, they they figure most people don't want to know. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you're an artist, so you just sit around, you get up late, and you party all night, and then you go put a few paintbrushes on a canvas, and that's all you do. You know? <laughs> and it's like, yep. oh, uh, no, not necessarily. Yeah. Um, you know, it makes us sound like rock stars or something, but, you know. <laughs> Even rock stars who do all that crap had to like learn how to play guitar, you know. Yeah, yeah, and that's I, not easy. <laughs> oh, no. and all these things tend to have these interesting cultural uh, connotations that form over the years. I think a lot about it in the way of like the torture artists that people think about a lot, and that like great art comes from places of pain and struggle and conflict and friction. And while there's probably some truth to that, I also think it's all total bullshit, to be honest with you. I, I yeah. love like da- David Lynch talks a lot about this, how like the people missed the the whole story of Van Gogh. Van Gogh had a lot of depression issues. Sure. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when he wasn't depressed, when he was painting, he was happy when he was creating. He was so, mm-hmm. so happy. And he wouldn't have been able to make those works, those masterpieces if he was painting while he was depressed, because this stuff doesn't bubble up from that place. Like this stuff comes out of like these beautiful connections and i think there's these uh cultural motifs that get settled on to people like working artists and stuff that are kind of self-defeating in a lot of ways and the more that people can hear that yeah you don't have to have like a messed up childhood or like some kind of like weird thing to be a creative everybody is a creative it's like it's kind of what i think we're here to do like i'm pretty sure and at least where i'm landing right now is we're we're here to change and make stuff as far as i can tell (laughs) yeah yeah i i agree with you completely um you know the thing about van gogh you know everybody is is like oh he was depressed well you know a large number of his beautiful paintings were painted while he was in this hospital and was being medicated i mean they were given a medication that was poison because that's what they had Mm -hmm. but he was being medicated and he was being looked after by doctors and he you know they fed him you know (laughs) there was food and there was a safe place to live so that's where the he painted you know the countryside around the yes. hospital yes. and he he paid for his room and board with art and his yeah. treatment with art so yeah he's he's one of the people that i that people just get all weird almost fetishy about you know yeah, like, yeah. and and i'm like mm, no yeah. no no <laughs> that's not that's not how you know um one of my favorite artists is Frank Frazetta. Oh yeah. I love his art. I can recognize him and I can recognize somebody who grew up copying his work in mm-hmm. high school over and over and over. Even even when it's just ink sketches, there is something in the way he captured movement and mass. Yeah. Like his bodies look like they have mass. Mm-hmm. And then then his color palette was just you know amazing unreal yeah 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 and you know he's one of those those artists that he took like a couple of classes in anatomy and that was kind of it but how many people are like that yeah you know most people learn it that's the other thing people think artists are born Mm mm-hmm 
And that's why I mentioned him, you know. Now, it may be that that's how he told his story, that, you know, he was already a good artist, and then he took some anatomy, and that's all he needed, you know. But that's also what his kids say, that, you know, he could just sit down and scribble out something. I, you know, maybe that's part of his mystique, but there's, for every Frazetta, there's a hundred people who learned how to draw mm-hmm. and then learned how to paint and then learned how to see, which is actually the first thing that you have to learn is how to see. And then you, you learn how to convey with your hand what you see with the eye. Yeah. And that's, and you know, that's a thing that everybody can learn mm-hmm. to some extent. We can all learn that because we didn't always have iPhones with cameras on them <laughs> to take pictures of everywhere we go. You That's know? so true. That's so true. No, I tell people all the time that anybody can do what I do or any artist does if they want to put the time into it. Because it's like you, even with all the beautiful shortcuts, and I do think there's like some really cool benefits to things like the like procreate and these digital tools that allow us to kind of get past these points of friction that may have closed doors to certain people like Mm -hmm. people that would have hit a wall and say you know what i'm not learning how to do that inking technique because that's just too much and there's too much mess and i got kids and i can't be cleaning up and whiting out and washing brushes i love that there is this smoother friction but i think even with those tools it's all about the amount of hours and attention placed at the drawing table and not just the not just the sitting there and doing it for the hours but there's something to the enjoyment of it if you don't enjoy the process of it you probably oh, yeah. should just stop like you've or not stop but like you probably shouldn't plan to do this for a living because you have to put so many hours into it and if you're sitting there miserable or just frustrated all the time it, it it's not always the best place to come up to these creative problems with or trying to uh you know just be more of a expressive person because all of that stuff gets imbued into the work like all that frustration mm-hmm. and sometimes it's a good thing sometimes it's good to have some of that frustration in there and there's plenty of stuff that like you know i erased until the paper's gone or i hit undo until i feel like oh, my yeah. ipad's breaking now i sometimes will be drawing on paper and try and undo it on my paper like i'm hitting the sketchbook like <laughs> how yeah. come you're not undoing what is or, or like i try do the pin zoom in on my sketchbook i do that sometimes yeah, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. always fun it, it, Zach our brains, does that. yeah <laughs> brains he are does weird that. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. i think i i think there's something to just the amount of time that's spent with these things and when you talk about someone like frank Frazetta and these people working in the in the language of comics a lot of the times or illustration yeah comics and sequential art is so demanding of your time and is just such a yes it's a commitment so if you don't absolutely love it that comes through in the work really hard yeah i also think it allows for like a different connection to the imagination when you're really living with these things for so long and you're sleeping with it and i think about this with like people like barry windsor smith he just put out a book that's called monsters that's some of the darkest comics i've ever read and he worked on it i think it was 35 years and i'm like i can't imagine living with this story in my head for 35 years wow and and he worked on all kinds of other stuff while working on it but like just having I don't know, comics connect you to the fiction in a different way, I feel like, and especially from a creator aspect, because it's such a singular voice a lot of the times. And the, mm-hmm. again, j- just the time at the drawing table is is 
uh, unprecedented a lot of the times. And I think it leads to some of those fun, weird stories you hear in comics. Yeah. Yeah. Well, talk about your comic because you do, you do engage in sequential art and <laughs> I do. And I really love your, your comics. So oh. let's talk about that. Thank you. I've, been making comics for as long as I can remember. It was the first thing, like when I first started figuring out that you could print zines, I, I grew up going to DIY punk shows around town and in Philly. And as soon as I realized that like you could make your own publications, I was like, Oh, you can make your own comics. And I found a bunch of weirdos around here that were already making their own comics. It was called suburban legend. And it was kind of like, it was like a stoner version of Archie is essentially what it was. And I like it. Yeah, it was really fun. And they taught yeah. me how to how to go to Kinko's and how to make a mock up and how to like, you know, sort the pages so that they all print correctly in order, which is completely confusing. And I don't even know how to explain it. Like I still have to make a physical dummy so that I know the pages right. are going in the right yeah. place. I like InDesign yeah. and stuff still doesn't work in my brain right. So I learned how to like make publications from that and I was like, oh, I can make comics now. And then for my like late teens through the 20s i would self-publish comics with friends and while we were touring with the band we would go to comic shows and sell comics and do that it's just kind of like a fun side thing and then i kind of got to the point where i started taking my illustration career or whatever you want to call it a little bit i started getting paid to make pictures for people and uh getting a lot of screen printing work so once i got back into screen printing i was like oh i can screen print comics so i started screen so it was one of these things that has always been in the back of my head and i honestly hadn't worked on comics for probably like five or six years until the recent run and essentially what happened was i had a bunch of stuff shake up in my uh regular career my illustration stuff with client work and everything still doing well very grateful still draw pictures for a living and everything but with that shake up it made me realize i wasn't making stuff for myself as much anymore and like i was doing daily posts on instagram like i do now and stuff but it that stuff still sometimes doesn't feel like it's all for me to be completely honest when I'm making a right. post that's going to be my like daily post for the day that I'm going to do the podcast episode about I'm thinking about how other people are going to interact with this I'm thinking about what is what I'm going to say for the podcast what I'm going to say in the description of the Instagram post all that stuff influences the actual art in a certain point or what I'm making so the comics were my way to take all of that out and just be like I'm just going to make comics about whatever I want to make them about and just kind of do this for myself and go back to self-publishing them. My goal was to do a monthly uh, self-published comic for a year. So I did 12 issues of personal folklore and I did one per month for a year. And I was like, even if I only sell five of these per issue, I don't care. I'm just going to do it because I want to I want to have physical copies and I want to do something that's just for me again. So that's kind of how I got back into making comics. And with all of that, I kind of have been getting back into or reigniting my love of the paranormal and these weirdo worlds that we kind of have met each other through. So it was just the perfect fodder for the comics. So all of my comics that I've been publishing recently have to do with uh, the paranormal or just these uh, thought experiments that the weird offers, like different ways to view the world through the paranormal, I guess. Sorry, That's that was a excellent. long I no, feel like that was no, a lot. That's great. <laughs> that's great. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I don't remember what, 20, ooh, 25 years ago, something, something like that. Zach did a web comic 
and I did the a lot of the writing and he did the art and he did it digitally. So this is, you know, he was doing Photoshop and uh, Illustrator and uh, Bryce. He was rendering 3D wow. backgrounds and it was set in the Old West. Very, very, you know, Looney Tunes, Amazing. Roadrunner and Coyote. And the main part, it was called Journey to the West. And the main story was this coyote left the Southwest and went East and found his, his mentor. And he learned Zen from his mentor who was Bigfoot. And then he went back to the, back to the desert and a, uh, a itinerant, paranormal investigator named Fox. Uh, actually, her name was Spooky Fox. And yes, she was a parody of, of uh, Fox Mulder. <laughs> and uh, so she came out and her van broke down and they met and there's Chupacabra. And then uh, there was an, a little gray alien in his spaceship that uh, kidnapped his girlfriend um, because she fell in love with him. And it was just silly. She was a cat, and she lived in the Streber uh, trailer park. And, uh, <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> so there's all this of this, is, this crazy is stuff. There is all of this crazy stuff. We had fun. We did it for a couple of years, and we did some really fun stuff with it. But it was always he always had fun playing with the whole idea of it being digital because he would do these layouts that you'd have to scroll through and then, yes. you know, you'd scroll down and then you'd turn to the right. Mm -hmm. That's the best. And then scroll down and then turn to the left and mm -hmm. all of these weird things spatially. And uh, he did some animation. He was in uh, a master's program at... Uh, uh, Baltimore College of Art, and uh, it was for digital art. It's a Master's of Digital Art. Um, sadly, they changed deans right before he he started. So what the program was was not what it was when he got there. Oh, that sucks. So yeah, so he ended up, you know, they wanted a lot of interactivity, and they didn't mm -hmm. think that you know scrolling down and then across and then down. Well, comics are just you know comics and. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah. And I was just like, ah. <laughs> so, but it was still fun. And he did amazing stuff. And uh, I got to, you know, write some really funny stories. Um, what was it? I think it was one of the ones, we mixed the whole idea of Zen with the paranormal. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we had an alien with his UFO that could go invisible or change shape. And uh, he was a little gray alien that wore a wizard's hat and a wizard's robe. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and he was stoned all the time, as was his girlfriend, Briar. Um, and uh, then there was, there was Jack. He was a blue coyote with a, a kimono on that was patchwork. And Zach had fun inventing the patchwork digitally so that, you know. Oh, that's it, so cool. Yeah. He was doing all kinds of really weird stuff with it. And it's all in the whole, you know, Monument Valley look 
oh, Southwest. Yeah. So, and That's then there's awesome. Bigfoot. Bigfoot with his stick, occasionally smacking Jack in the back of the head. That's the coyote. So we, but we were ahead of like the curve. Yeah. We, 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 I think if we were doing it now, people would be like, oh my God. Uh, when we did it then, everybody was like, what is wrong with you? What is going on? And then we had this whole plot line sort of planned out for, uh, some three coyotes and uh, they were going to kidnap Spooky and basically turn her into a terrorist with them. <laughs> and they were going to brainwash her and they were going to turn her into the black fox, sort of like a, a, a supervillain. Um, and they give her this costume while they're mind, you know, controlling her. And it has uh, like, like a, you know, a thong. <laughs> and she's just like, she was like, the black fox cannot fight evil wearing butt floss. You know, that was, <laughs> it was amazing. But that sounds so good. But we didn't get to release it because the whole plot that they were going to do, they were going to blow up uh, uh, like part of Monument Valley, like Devil's Tower or something. Uh, you know, I don't remember what it was. And 9-11 happened right as we were about to put that up and so we didn't put it up because was, yeah. yeah it was just bad timing and then we were like you know what just <laughs> this is not the time for that because we had done all of the paranormal stuff so we were like well let's do the conspiracy stuff and then it was let's not do the conspiracy yeah. stuff now everybody's really serious and this is not we not can't the, make fun of this yeah it's it's funny the I love digital comics, but you're right. There was this time in that early 2000s where like people did not know what to make heads or tails of them. And that was a really interesting time in comics in general. And mm -hmm. there's a, some of my favorite comics writing is done by this dude, Scott McLeod. He wrote a book yeah. called Understanding Comics and Reinventing yep. Comics. His book, Reinventing Comics, is all about the, the possibilities of the infinite scroll and like how beautiful yep. of a way that i mean i um i love McLuhan. i love the idea that the medium is or the the way that you're consuming the media is going to affect your experience of it and yes there's a uh, sequential art is a very special engagement with the end user the way that it it calls on you to use your imagination a little more to fill in these gaps between the panels and that mm -hmm. kind of extra imaginational work kind of puts you a little bit more invested into what's going on and it makes you up it makes you more of a part of it i always feel like the end user of any kind of creativity whether it's the audience of a band or the reader of a book or the uh, viewer of a painting they're part of the art and in the comics mm -hmm. there's a real legitimacy to that like end user doing half of the work and with the digital environment and the endless scroll it takes that to it's like a very heightened level that has a lot of potential that i think especially in those early days there was some really cool stuff being played with that just mm -hmm. kind of got washed over because it wasn't just wasn't the right time but yeah yeah that's, yeah it's really interesting i've been trying to do more I, on Mondays, I've been doing these little. Uh, I love. I grew up on Peanuts and Calvin and Hobbes. I comic strips were probably my favorite comic. That was my first introduction to the comics format, and like they shaped my worldview in a huge way. So I've been trying to do little, um, little 
goblin comic strips because i realized that like the swipeable functions of instagram are perfect for little comic strips because it's like mm -hmm. one panel two panel three panel four panel and then it's done and it's all square so i'm like this is exactly like a peanut strip i can just do like yep. so i've been trying to play with that a lot more and just sitting down to execute a comic strip versus a long linear or more like you know 12 page story or 24 page story is so different and it makes you interact with the ideas and the character in a whole different way that i've really been loving and it's it's been a little bit more playful and like a little bit it definitely yeah. has that like uh, the calvin and Hobbes and the peanuts and all of that stuff is in there really deep and i didn't realize how deep it was until starting to play with yeah. that format yeah. yeah, I really like the the little goblin guy. I like his his it's very you're very good at getting the point across in like four panels. Like Thank four you. four little squares and you've you've pared down the story mm -hmm. to where again the the reader does a lot of the work because you pare it down so much, but it also makes you think. It's almost like a Zen koan where you it's a few statements uh or it's like a haiku you know it's three lines five three five syllables you know and that's yeah. it that's all there yeah. is and then you have to imagine the rest of it and it, it that's i really like that thank you um we never we did a few shorter form ones um and then uh Later on, we, uh, well, not we, Zach started another comic called Nine Lives, Many Masters. Um, we I still have, we have, we still have most of Journey to the West. We lost a few pieces of it, but Nine Lives, Many Masters disappeared into the void of the, of the internet. Um, but it was about a kitten who's, who was a, uh, familiar and his, uh, which, poisoned herself accidentally because she she didn't know the difference between um henbane and uh detura or whatever you know she i don't remember which exact herb she got herself with but she ended up ingesting a poison tea and uh so he needed to look for a job and he ended up going to satiric spelled like satyr with an ik at the end Awesome. uh agency and it's a temp agency for familiars <laughs> and <laughs> it went through quite a few familiar uh, t masters and i love it there was my favorite character was mal bufo he was a he was a toad and he he was crass and mean and nasty and here's this wide-eyed adorable kitten and they were you know sparring about with each other and we got to make comment. He got to make. I helped a little. I didn't really write anything, but occasionally I'd have an idea and I'd pop it in front of him. But there were comments made about the neo pagan community of the like mid to late aughts, you know. So there was a lot of new and different things happening, and so gotcha. there was satire. It was fun. That sounds great. That it was a lot of fun. That sounds wonderful. Yeah, I would love to see any of these comics. I remember you mentioning the other one in our conversation on my show, and I was like, yeah. I want to see that. Where where do these exist? I know, I know. I'm gonna have to have him dig up some of those some of those comics from like, I think he's got it on CDR now. 
but he doesn't have he doesn't have nine lives many masters but i do have the first i think four of them that he drew by hand in a zine it was a local pagan zine from here in athens in the early 90s it was called out of the broom closet that's and awesome. so the very first iteration of it was was hand drawn and in a you know not mimeographed scene. scene. We we're not that old, but <laughs> it, it was photocopied scene. Yes, yes, so. that's awesome. I love it. And it, it, we just had so much fun with it. Um, but yeah, I really like the idea of uh, the paranormal as told through comics i there's just something i mean there's i mean urban fantasy is all over comics there's mm -hmm. you know magic has been a staple of the comics since forever superheroes are by their nature paranormal you know yep. a, a spaceman mm -hmm. falling from the sky as a baby is pretty paranormal you just know just a little and, bit yeah. yeah just a little bit you know <laughs> and bit yeah yeah and and you know wonder woman wandering around still living in the you know mythic times with the greek gods mm -hmm. and goddesses that's that's pretty paranormal so i i just love but what i love about the way you do it is it's in a positive way and it it reminds me very much of how zach and i wrote journey to the west is it was funny but it had meaning but it wasn't dark yeah and that was yeah the x-files was was it started out a little bit dark mm -hmm. and then it got really dark and then there's like the one i think it was season seven when they just started making these crazy one yes. one time one shots and they were great that was my that's my they, favorite season absolutely because they they weren't so stuffy yeah you know. yeah no <laughs> so, absolutely so that's what i like about your i like about your um personal folklore that, and your that, your little goblin guy oh that means a lot to me because it's definitely something i try to be very intentional about i i so i guess i got back into a lot of the paranormal stuff right before having my first kid like i did grow up on it i grew up on scary stories to tell in the dark goosebumps x files treehouse yeah. of horror simpsons episodes were my favorite thing every year i looked forward to them all year long like was that type of kid for sure loved bigfoot at a certain point got way into you know was definitely the first cryptid i got into but i definitely kind of fell off of things for a little bit when I started playing in a touring band and you know the the punk scene for all of its great stuff there's not a lot of talk about stuff like this because it's much more focused on real world problems a lot of the times and dealing yep. with uh, immediate issues there's not as much talk about magic and all the stuff that I kind of gravitate towards so I kind of lost touch with a lot of it but uh getting back to about to having kids I was like huh I wonder what the hell I do when my kids like oh my grandpa died what do i say you know like all these things that come up that make you think mm -hmm. about these big questions and these big mysteries and like i haven't thought about those in years and i started going down the rabbit hole of being like well what did i do when i wanted to think about big stuff in high school and i was like ah, i would get stoned and listen to terrence mckenna youtube videos or talks and i'm like there you let's go start there let's <laughs> let's let's start so i i started going down the mckenna rabbit hole and getting 
back into like Ram Das and some more Eastern spiritual psychedelic type of people. And all of that led me back to Robert Anton Wilson. And that led me back to Valet. And that led me to things like Kiel again. And get and like these things that I knew about but never read growing up. Like I knew all these names, but I never read Mothman Prophecy or Passport to McGon. You know, so I was like, maybe I should actually read these books now. I'm about to have this kid and I'm like listening to all these paranormal podcasts. I need to and- break my child's brain yeah <laughs> exactly and for some reason there was something telling me that i could get the same thing from this type of stuff as i was getting from like these ramdas talks in a different way but in the same essentially what i got from the spirituality side that i liked was this more wondrous worldview this way of looking at the world as if it was magic because it is magic and we need to stop telling ourselves that it's not and that's like the core of what i get from a lot of listening to whether it's uh, terence mckenna or leary or ramdas or all these people that were just these beautiful speakers of this stuff but they all talk about aliens too. Like every one of them, all of them talk about mm-hmm. UFOs and extraterrestrials yep. in a completely yep. different way. And th- so that's what led me back to getting into the more standard stuff. And from there, I realized there's this whole vein of things that I had no clue about growing up as far as people's work, like Dr. Jeffrey Kripal's work and then finding like Dr. Joshua Cutchin's work and all of this stuff that is much more along the lines of where you can connect like Going from Ramdas to Dr. Jeffrey Kripal is not that big of a jump, you know, when you when you look at the the way that when the you works think about are. it, yeah, yeah, totally, and it makes a lot more sense. So I I started getting back into all of this stuff via thinking about how I'm going to talk to my kid about big pictures and how I want to present these things in a way that encourages curiosity and not encourages. Uh, him to be scared right away or to have an antagonistic view of the other and like these things that can be really scary for kids and like really weird for them and i think there is something to the way that they're introduced to these ideas playing a part in that so i think and this might be Mm -hmm. a stretch and i could be completely wrong but i think the fact that my kid has a more curious view and a more positive view of the paranormal is going to make him deal with those kind of bigger life shakeups like a a family tragedy or a pet passing away or those type of things a little bit better because he's not going to be so scared of what comes next or the other or the unexplained or the mystery he's going to be like oh this is something we live in that's my goal anyway i don't know if any of it's actually going to work so i've i i applied that to the comics i was making and the artwork i was making because I wanted to spread that message. I think there's so much positivity and all of this stuff that does have like a fear aspect and all of that that's probably baked in for a reason. You know, it's probably there for some sort of function for sure. But I think the more um, the side that we can all get something out of is that curious side and is that side where when you stop and listen to these stories of high strangeness or encounters with anomalous beings we can use those as a way to just view our world as a magical thing we get to interact with all the time. And that's way better than, you know, being scared of Dogman or any of this stuff that like seems yeah. to be so prevalent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay. Like Dogman is scary. Okay. But you know, at the same time, I used to play, you know, uh werewolf, the apocalypse. So I, <laughs> I kind of feel like I'd I'd almost be like, you know, 
uh so what tribe are you from <laughs> yeah yeah no so no i think <laughs> that's exactly myself you know <laughs> you know i was actually it's really funny you said that because i was thinking about this idea earlier based on listening to a terrence mckenna talk the other day where he was saying that the what he sees the proper way to interact with the mushroom right you can take five dried grams of psilocybin in a dark room and not have any kind of experience like you can walk out of that room not thinking you communicated with Gaia or other entities but if you go into that room and you take those five dried grams uh, uh, of mushrooms and you say who are you mushroom what are you here for that mushroom's going to talk back to you so if you don't mm -hmm. If you enter that realm of unknown with a, I don't know what's going to happen, what's going on here, you know, set and setting like you got, or if you enter mm -hmm. it in a very calm, like, I know what's going on here. I've done this a bunch. You're going to get that reflected to you. But if you go in inquisitive and you say, what's going on here? Who are you, mushroom folks? What, what are you doing here? Same thing. If you run into a dog man, instead of being like, ah, dog man, be like, dog man what's up what are you doing here what's going on like i feel like addressing these things with humor and some sort of levity and inquisitiveness is more helpful than you know starting at that place of fear when obviously it's scary so i i don't i don't fault anybody yeah. for reacting like that you know like no. i don't know how i would handle no. it at all but uh it's like i i feel like set and setting applies in a lot more ways than just the psychedelic world and if we can use some of those mm -hmm. things in the paranormal experiences they'll probably make them a little bit easier and or i don't know if easier is the right word but a little bit more beneficial maybe that's not the right word either i don't know <laughs> well you know these things happen and and you know there are people who go their whole lives and and nothing happens or they're lying about it and something did happen and they just don't talk about it which mm -hmm. i think just about everybody has had some even if it's just a little tiny weird thing some strange thing has happened um or my family's just full of a bunch of weirdos i because that could no be, i don't know no it's, no uh, it, it's i think you're dead on <laughs> and i think that if we accept that things happen if if that there's more out there than the material world which i mean if you take physics in high school you're gonna figure that out real fast mm -hmm. you know uh, Fox is like, you know, they tell us that this solid desk is not really solid. <laughs> you know, it's mostly empty space. There's only a few atoms in there. Yeah. It's mostly empty space and, and they're vibrating at a frequency that makes it seem solid. How is that not magic? Like, seriously, how is that different than the Hindu mm -hmm. saying, this is Maya, this is illusion. It's not different. Mm -mm. The Hindus no, figured it's... it out. Th they yep. figured that out. You know, that they, they say that the world exists, matter exists because Indra wanted to experience something other than himself. So he blew himself up and all these pieces. What's that? That's the big bang. They figured that out. Yeah. And no. so, you know, it's like, but if I were to say that at school, I'd get in trouble, you know, yeah. or, you know, or I'd start a fight with somebody, you know, the, the, mm -hmm. the instructor might understand it, but the super, you know, there's some kids around here who are very Christian. So that might start yeah. some totally. problems, but 
but it is, you know, it is, it is what it is. You know, yeah. the, the Hindus were right about a lot of stuff. And the more I hang out and listen to people's stories, um, and the more stories I hear and I see all of these similarities, the more I'm like, it, th this world is way more magical than anybody gives it credit for. And way more weird stuff happens than we give it credit for. And I feel like people don't appreciate that fact. Yeah. It's like there is a segment of the population that does not want us to think <laughs> about that or interact with it they, they get all like mm. Mm -hmm. you know the skeptic not not the actual skeptics who like you know look at a story and go okay now let's look at this logically and and yeah sometimes people do see things that aren't ufos they see things that are recognizable meteorological meteorite mm -hmm. things yeah okay so what that's fine you can say that it was just a meteorite that's fine but the fact is, is what if that meteorite inspired them to have a creative thought? Yes. Then which yes. is more important, the fact or the creative thought? No, and absolutely. This is not new. This is what poets and artists have done forever. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, oh, I saw a falling star. Well, I'm going to write a poem about it and <laughs> immortalize it forever. I know it's really just a meteorite, but... It does. What if it's not just a meteorite? Is it it's wrong to wish? Poem. Is it yes. wrong to is wish on space hardware? <laughs> yes. I, my favorite Billy Bragg line ever. Yeah. Is it wrong to wish on space hardware? I wish, I wish, I wish you'd care. That's one of like, because how many times are people seeing satellites now or like the whatever the hell? Oh, that, yeah. You know, and they're like, oh, UFOs or whatever. But I, so there's so many things that you said there that I love. And one of the things that I, want to jump back slightly on is you were just talking about how these um these mythologies and folklore can come to facts almost faster than science can in a lot of ways and i think that the world is accepting that more and more in certain ways which is really encouraging my kid i was telling you before we started uh the podcast is super into science he loves listening to science podcasts right now and there's this one oh, called awesome. terrestrial it's so much fun and I get like so inspired and re and that exact thing you were just explaining happens to me all the time where I'm just like, Oh, everything is magic. Like when you hear things broken down, like how our eyes work, how like a piece of our brain hangs out of the skull and there's a chemical reaction that takes light and changes it into a brain. That's magic. Like, I don't care. Like what, like all of that yeah, stuff just yeah. makes you be like, yeah, it's magic. We have words for sure. Um, but like, one of the cool things that I've noticed with my kid getting into these science shows, like there's this one called terrestrials and what they'll do is they'll take a scientific discovery that happened in the recent history. And like the, my favorite examples, they did an episode on Eagles and I might butcher the actual science of any of this. So I apologize for everybody, but I'm going to do my best. Right. But essentially in like the early two thousands, there was a webcam that was focused on a um, nest of eagles that had a bunch of eggs in it right and apparently it's very common for eagles to get their nest stolen from them for another eagle to come in kick out the eagles take over the nest kill the hatchlings and all of that so this mother eagle is taking care of the the uh, eggs on camera this other female comes in the male eagle comes in 
fights the female eagle, the mom eagle of the nest ends up getting killed, right? So the hatchlings mm -hmm. are there are gone, but the dad eagle kills the attacking eagle. So now it's just the dad eagle and the hatchlings. So all the scientists are like, that nest is done. Dad's moving on. Those hatchlings are like, that's not what eagles do. Eagles don't care. Nah, that that dad stayed and hatched those eagles and protected them from like three other intruders. And all the scientists are like, this breaks our brains. Hey, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so the podcast cuts there and goes back to an indigenous scholar who's actually like a uh, some sort of biologist as well at this point. And he starts telling about how his people have been telling the stories, explaining these aspects of the eagles, his like for, you know, since they've been around way before there was written history or anything like this is the story of the eagles that they are carrying and that they're nurturing and they're a symbol that connects us in the heavens. And if we would have just listened to that folklore from those mm -hmm. indigenous people, we would have come to that fact. Well, no, we needed a webcam that videotaped it and like had it all. And like, it's like, no, we could have just listen to the stories we could have just understood the so i love yeah. that that idea is being presented to kids like i love that they're putting the indigenous folklore on the same level as the scientific discovery in my kids eyes there's not as much of a difference anymore and i think that's going to go a long way in kind of accepting some of like the fact that our imaginations are more powerful than we give them credit for and that like these these stories that have been around forever and that these you know what people would uh deem as less knowledgeable cultures or whatever you want to say like no they knew just as much as we are learning now they just spoke about it differently and communicated the ideas differently and we just we don't yeah. know how to listen to them <laughs> yeah you know what i like about that is you know the the symbol of the eagle i mean it's one of the most powerful of the spirits in yeah. in various tribes stories and it is because it they say that you know it it nurtures all spirits it nurtures the young um and and it connects us to the heavens as you said the thing that gets me is i i part of it is is western centric thought mm -hmm. that everything that came before the enlightenment everything that came before newton getting smacked in the head by an apple <laughs> which yeah that's a myth too but whatever um everything before galileo you know everything before copernicus people were dumb yeah and people were especially dumb if they had darker skin and lived in a in a culture that we just didn't understand and you know our missionaries felt the need that we needed to be saving them because mm -hmm. their culture is obviously bad i mean it, western centrism is is just it is so endemic in our culture it that is. I really love that this podcast went, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> this on. is actually, what is stopping an indigenous person from observing their environment? Yeah. Nothing. Mm -hmm. That's what humans do. We observe things and we explain it and understand it as we see it. Yeah, 100%. That's, I... that's, that's how it works. That's you know we may not know exactly how 
humans built those pyramids, but they built them. Yeah. And, you know, I may have, you know, never been able to take trigonometry or whatever because my brain just kind of goes, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but there were some engineers that were wandering about barely wearing clothes in Egypt because it's hot there. Um, and they they built beautiful things while, you know, our Western-centric culture was kind of having a dark ages and barely out yeah. of barbarism and weren't writing anything because we didn't know how, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's, so that's before the Romans, that's before the Greeks. Yeah. So wild. It's, it really is wild. It, it kind of, it's, it's infuriating in certain ways because I feel like um, it's, what's the right word for it it's not only disingenuous but it's disempowering to the idea that like we can all partake in this kind of global folklore like it, it, i if we would listen to the stories that have been around forever from these people that lived in much closer relationship to these things then like where could our stories be at this point like we could be way farther along and mm -hmm. it's uh, it's kind of frustrating exactly. from that and there is it's funny because you know in our circles and stuff words like animism come up a lot and i didn't know until talking to people a lot smarter than me that that was something that was looked at negatively like it was something like oh these cultures didn't know they were animistic they were archaic and all but now it seems like the smartest people are starting to go back to oh there's something to animism and polypsychism and these things that we were looking at so it's interesting how this stuff is kind of cyclical to me and that like mm -hmm. i do i i think there's a strong connection to and i think people like john max said it a lot and again terrence mckenna but there's a strong connection to um the paranormal and the weirdness and us trying to grapple with consciousness and a way to balance these things and i i mean the the one mckenna quote that always sticks in my head and i'll kind of butcher it probably but he said something along the lines of uh the ufo is a way to seek clarity of what our consciousness is but and until then we won't ever know what that phenomena is the phenomena will remain a, a mystery until consciousness is no longer a mystery these things are pushing us to find out what we are they're not from without they're from within and trying to push us mm -hmm. to expand from within and i think there's really something to that and like it's interesting that with that idea so many of the deep thinkers in this community seem to be really connected with an animistic worldview like i i think there's something really powerful there and I, I it's always been something that seems more advanced to me in a lot of ways like the idea like holding that much uh holding that much information that like everything is as um essentially that everything has as much worth as everything else it seems to be like a yeah. more advanced way of looking at the world than the way we currently do <laughs> so it always confused yeah. me why people used it as a derogatory towards but i guess that's all academic stuff that i probably won't understand <laughs> oh yeah yeah i mean that that's a lot of anthropology and sociology nerdery right there like yeah. and and a lot of it again western centrism mm -hmm. it's it's you know, I just I just recorded an episode that's coming out tomorrow with 
Morgan Daimler and Cat Heath, and and they always talk about the human centric mm-hmm. or anthropo anthropocentrism in fairy lore. How everything because we're human. And we look at things with us as the center of the universe because that's what we do, because we have egos and and we do these things. Mm -hmm. We always look at elves or fairies as something beneath us. Well, now, first off, logic. Let's, Let's look at this logically. So these things are purported to be able to, these creatures can steal people away and you can't get them back. They can kill your cow, steal your cow, kill your dog, steal your dog, steal your wife, blind you, put a bad luck on you that just goes down through generations because you made them angry. Okay, so how is that beneath us from a folkloric perspective? (laughs) But because we are now in this very Western-centric, Christian-centric kind of worldview it messes everything up it messes up the whole balance of understanding that these are a these are a people you know they are people they may not have bodies all the time the way we do um they may be invisible to us and do have bodies all the time but we just can't see them all the time Mm -hmm. they have powers that we don't have but they're a people and so to interact with them in any other way except as people is derogatory yeah and in you can't you can't as my grandma would say you can't be doing that no that's just not that's not right yeah that's you you have to engage with them as people and that's again that's the animist viewpoint Everything's people. It's just different shapes, sizes, characters, ability to communicate. You know, rocks don't don't communicate real well, you know, to to human ways of understanding. But they're people. Yeah, no. They they have been here since the beginning. Mm -hmm. They move very slowly. So but they are people. And if you engage with spirits eventually you're going to run across a rock yes spirit yes. and that that's a person that's a person. treat it like a person and if you treat everything like a person though that that messes with capitalism mm-hmm. that's when you can't just you know hey let's strip mine yeah <laughs> we need that coal we need that coal real bad so we're just gonna rip a mountain apart <laughs> not going to do that if you uh, really connect with the animist worldview and that everything and that's, is yeah. now you know why that animist worldview was looked down on yeah that makes because you cannot abuse natural resources if you view the world itself as imbued with spirit you can't do it yep it doesn't work yeah you have to partner with it mm-hmm it's a whole different worldview, whole yeah. different. And there's, there's something that like resonates so true in a sad way to that. And I, I think a lot about with the, uh, you know, when people 
everyone can feel that interconnection between each other. Like if you watch mm -hmm. the way kids interact, they are oh, like, yeah. they are connected. It's like symbiotic group think like mm -hmm. all of it's there. We are all, but as we get older, we just like push that down and we're like, no, we're not the other people. Cause if we really accept that I'm you and you're me and we're, you know, everyone else, then like we can't ever do anything that's selfish or mean. Like you just, you have this very, and that is a very limiting view of that because the other side of it is we're everything. And that's like super powerful. And like, like that's the mm -hmm. part that like, I wish everybody could embrace more, but in the structures that we exist in, it's hard for people to embrace those things. I'm very, I always like to say that I'm very grateful for the situation that I'm in because I do get paid to create stuff and to have weird thoughts and to think about these things we're talking about and like watch these Terrence McKenna YouTube video. Like I, I yeah, am in a very yeah. lucky position and I know that the people that I'm hanging out with or interacting with in car line when I'm picking up my kids, they're coming from a job they hate that they like have to go home and maybe work more at. And like, there is a lot of time and financial pressure in these worlds that I understand makes having these type of conversations and ideas and really drilling down harder for people. But it's like the, I, I, I can't remember who said it about meditating, but someone said it. The, the, the line is something along the lines of if you can't find five minutes to meditate a day, you should probably find 20. So like if you can't find a couple minutes to think about these things, just try and find find some time because the more that you think about this weird stuff, the more that I feel like that Western mentality is broken. One of my favorite John Mack quotes, God, I feel like I've just referenced Terrence McKenna this whole podcast, but there is a interview that Terrence McKenna does with John Mack. That's my favorite thing in the world as far as UFOs, really. And John Mack ends it with saying he thinks the whole point of all of this is to break the Western mentality that's gripped the world because the only way to break this Western mentality or one of the ways to break this Western mentality is to take something from the spirit world and make it physical because we don't have a way to grapple with that. And it just, it's this novelty injection that we don't know how to handle. And he, he speculated that's one of the big causes or reasons for UFOs and the phenomenons that people are having. And I'm like, that sounds right. Like, I like that. <laughs> that yeah, sounds, yeah. yeah. Interjections of novelty is something that I think uh, is happening a lot these days, but not in, not in a way that I think people um, can really recognize it unless they step back for a second, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I also, I, I think, I think that there's something to be said for uh, Keel when he talked about whatever this is, whatever the paranormal is, whatever the other is, whatever the, he called them ultra terrestrials mm -hmm. are. Um, as opposed to extraterrestrial. I think that we that most of the people I talk with agree that it is tied to humans and it's tied to this planet that we have that we're living on somehow. Mm -hmm. And it's interacting with us and it's been doing it for a long time. It it does inject novelty and it does communicate in in um symbolism. It communicates in action. It communicates in words, although, you know, contactees could write a whole book about what the spaceman told them. 
but there's like only one or two sentences in there that actually are the message and then the rest of it is yeah i get i guess either their brain cooks that up or the 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 one who was interacting with them was a trickster yeah and was like i've got to keep talking so they think i'm smart i gotta mm -hmm. keep talking i gotta keep talking but i gotta get this one message across so i'm gonna keep talking and keep talking and it just it it's amazing to me that we have a i call it a, a sister species or a brother species of beings that has been trying to coax us along you know and yeah. stop bashing each other in the head with the sticks come yeah. on you know <laughs> come on let's build Absolutely. something let's build something yes hey let let's let's hey that wolf is you know hanging around by the fire let let's let's tame that you know let's do mm -hmm. these things let's do these let's be creative and and humans have always been creative i mean we bashed, you know, rocks and bones together to make tools because you couldn't go to the Ace Hardware store. It's amazing. I mean, yes. who thinks of yes. that? Who does no, that? Absolutely. So I had a friend once. We had we had tripped on LSD the night before, and uh, I can't sleep for like forty eight hours after that. So you know, I was up and awake. So I decided to make breakfast. And, uh, yeah, the others kind of shuffled in. Uh, uh, yeah. And I was like, yeah, yeah, have, have coffee, have water. It'll help. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm frying sausage and uh, making pancakes. And one of, the, one of my friends came up to me and she said, sausage is amazing. You know that's made out of just the junk pieces of pig that you know you can't make nothing else good out of it it's fat and and it's you know the parts that you trimmed off the other parts and you know you could throw it away but why it's wasting it you can't waste it so you throw it in there and then you put some salt and pepper and some herbs in there and it makes it taste good and it tastes better than the crap that it came from and then she was like who made that <laughs> who, who came up with that she said yeah. you know it was an old it was an old broad in the cave you know that there was somebody you know she's like i i butchered this giant boar i ain't gonna waste none of it she's like but you know she must have been like well we got to figure out how to make it last so we're gonna put a lot of salt in it and then you know we yep. got to make it taste good after that because too much salt and it don't taste so good so we're gonna put this pepper and that and then we're gonna put these herbs and and then it, it just made me think because i was still on under the influence of of mm -hmm. lsd and i was like who figured out herbs <laughs> exactly. why you know humans we just seem to have this idea that primitive people were dumb that mm -mm. they weren't they they yeah. figured out all of these things and and to me that is amazing yeah. And that tells me that humans are capable of amazing things, which also tells me we're capable of figuring out this global warming thing, y'all. Yeah, I agree. If some old lady in a cave could figure out sausage out of nothing, she mm -hmm. didn't have a cookbook. No, you know, not at all. Who's, who's the first person to make it? You know, who figured out 
medicinal herbs that are a little bit poisonous, but if you use it this way, won't kill you and will make you better from something else. That, it blows my mind. And you can't write it down because yeah, nobody's figured out tradition. the writing part. Mm-hmm. So you have to remember that. So there's all that brain power again. But, you know, eagles don't take care of their kids. The males <laughs> don't take care of their kids, you know. No, that's not how it you goes. Know. So... <laughs> we can... <laughs> yeah. But we can build a computer, so there's something. Yeah, we got that. It's so funny. I think about that all the time with just I, I work in I do a lot of work for coffee, a coffee company. And I'm like, who did this first? Like who ground this stuff yes. up and like figured mm. or like you hear about the uh, the Amanita muscaria that, you know, was only being able to be consumed through reindeer pee. Like who drank that pee first? Like how did that happen? Like what? Yeah. <laughs> like, who came up I, I with that one? Yeah, <laughs> or, or how you know mushrooms grow in cow poop? Like who was following around cows and being like, mushroom there? Well, let's, let's give that a go. Like that's yeah. a, that, that's the one I want to try. Like <laughs> it's yeah, that's totally not the one that you would try to eat. You know, yeah. that, and that's where spirit communication does come in. That's what I'm saying. Um, because yeah. I do think that that's some of that came from spirit that's communication guided, because right? that is. That is the way spirit communication has worked with me. That's what I've learned things from spirits that I did not learn from a book. So that's that's part of it, but it's also the willingness to try yeah. and the inventiveness. How did they figure out how to dye cloth colors out of right? plants? Yeah, Like, you know, I've, I've taken up making my own watercolors. How'd they figure out fixatives for, for paint? Yeah. You know, because you, you, you know, if you got you've got iron oxide, you've got ochre, you know, you've got red ochre, you got yellow ochre, you got, you know, various rocks and minerals that you can grind up. So you, you can grind up lapis, you get blue and you can grind up uh, like azurite, get green and blue. You know, that's cool. You can do all that. How did they figure out what to put it in to make it stay on what they painted it on? Yeah. That's because I never it's, even it's, thought about that. <laughs> it's a it's a plant. It's it's a rosin from a tree. Gum arabic is a a, a, a rosin from a tree. So wow. What how, <laughs> how did know? these things come about? No, it's wild. I definitely think like human creativity is something that's really interesting. I really love these encounters where people talk to beings, whether it's an alien encounter or a psychedelic encounter, and the other communicates that they interact with us because of our creativity or our imagination. Or I've heard someone recently talk about, and I kind of really love this, that they interact with us because we can change. And a lot of these spirits or these the, the other, they don't change. And when I thought about that in regards to like Greek mythology and like all of these stories the gods mm-hmm. coming down to have these human experiences and like change is kind of our superpower it's all we're really good at is changing so i'm like maybe mm-hmm. there is and it's such a big part of the creative aspect of life and like i was like maybe it is something to do with change and creativity and i mean my favorite is grant morrison's story where essentially the aliens he experienced after running up a temple in Kathmandu told him they they were silver blobby entities that he uh, had visited him and they told him that they come here because we're their idea farm that they need 
the way that we experience time linearly to grow stories that are to grow ideas that ideas don't grow outside of time so they come here to grow ideas in our that's time that's interesting and i was like i love that and it kind of goes along with the whole change mm -hmm. thing and all of that too yeah so there's been something kind of uh, rolling around with the with those ideas time does have something to do with it time does because there's so many statements from you know men in black or mm -hmm. aliens or whatever about time yeah. what is the time that you were on what time do you have we'll see you in time we'll see you in time my favorite yep yeah you know, like... absolutely it, and it always just makes it's so funny because every time time comes up in these regards it always just makes me think of billy pilgrim and being unstuck in time and vonnegut and like all yeah. of the, like that whole theme throughout slaughterhouse five was one of my favorite yeah. things and i it's such a beaut like being unstuck in time is just such a beautiful way to put it and yeah i mean vonnegut's great at all that's yeah so, he's I mean, amazing he tapped into he's some amazing. stuff that uh he probably yeah i think he was he was talking to some guides and spirits and stuff even if he didn't know it <laughs> or um, a channel i sometimes i think writers channel yeah you know yeah, absolutely that, that they have these characters talking in the back of their heads mm -hmm. um that's kind of how it, it works with me with you know writing fiction that that there is something that's talking in there yeah. you know maybe i have you know dissociative identity disorder i don't know i don't think so <laughs> No, we, but, we all got know. that voice. We, we, I, I, or I hope yeah. we all have that voice because that's definitely really loud in my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If if you get an idea that that wants to be born, it it will mm -hmm. tell you, and it's not get good to way. not listen to them. I think. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Time has to do with it. Um, death has to do with it. Rebirth has to do with it and light yeah light light's important where are you at on with dreams and all of this i've oh. heard timothy renner say several times now if he had to write his ecology of souls he would do it on dreams and i'm like i want to read that book and i yeah, want to dude get on that <laughs> yeah right get on that yeah, um, i'm writing about lights he can write about dreams we got to find somebody to write about time perfect i don't know yeah, i don't know <laughs> It's way above my pay grade. <laughs> yeah. Time is the hard one. Time is the hard one. I was talking with Josh about it, and he was like, somebody needs to write about time. I was like, don't look at me. I got lights. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm working on. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, you got you to gotta find somebody else, man. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, but dreams, you know, I've had dreams where I go to the same places. Mm -hmm. I've had dreams of my home city that I haven't been to in, in forever for um, PTSD reasons, but I dream in that city and then there is a dream version of that city and it is consistent. So it's different than the actual bits of the city, but those differences stay from dream to dream. Oh, wow. To the point where I'm wondering if it's not something from an alternate universe that I'm watching yeah. or that I'm participating in, part of me is participating in, and I can get that as a dream. And when I was a kid, I thought that dreams were other lives that we lived mm -hmm. while we slept. Um, and, you know, my dreams could be so 
vivid that I really believed that they happened. That's you amazing. Know? So I, I am a, a big, big proponent of, of dreams being, if not materially real, they are real in another yeah. way. Just like I, ideas are real. Yes, absolutely. And like they're more real in certain ways. I was listening to a neuroscience talk about something that they're kind of realizing with dreams that our brain is actually performing. Let me see if I can not mess this up too bad. But our brains are essentially putting out as much energy creating our dream worlds as they do creating our like everyday awaking world like how much co-creation from our brain goes into making our world when we're awake the same amount of co-creation goes into it like it, while we're dreaming so there has to be something very important going on there was his point for our brains to be yeah. expending that much energy to create these places that seem as real as your waking world and he so he's doing a whole book a whole study of sleep and dreams and he's doing a lot of work on the surrealist painters and he was talking about how dali like one of his big techniques was he would fall asleep with a spoon in his hand or something metal in his hand so that as soon as he like fell all the way asleep and hit that hit that hypnagogic state he would drop the spoon and it would wake him up and then he would like work really fast to take the imagery down from when he just woke up because he mm -hmm. felt like that's what he was trying to bring back and it was all about napping and these really quick like 10 minute and mm -hmm. then wake yourself up and snap out of it and there's just there's something to dreams that are really appealing to me and honestly it's probably because i don't remember any dreams it's probably because I'm still a cannabis user and like not I hear that affects yeah. certain people very negatively in that ways. And yeah. It's something that like when I do dream and it's hard and I realize it's there, I'm like, whoa, that was powerful. What was that? And it's made me, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a much more curious about dreams these days. And I also think there's something really special to sharing them. I know there's like a cliche of like people being like, no one wants to hear about your dreams. I kind of want to hear about everybody's dreams these days. Like I kind of... Yeah. Yeah, like, give yeah. me your dream stories. Give me your synchronicity stories. Speaking of people that write about time, uh, Eric Wargo wrote this oh, one yeah. thing that I really loved. So I couldn't get through his whole book. I'm going to be completely honest. It was over my head and just like I just couldn't could not get. But I love a lot of the concepts in there. And there's one thing he talks about in regards to synchronicity that it's the sharing of the synchronicity that has a retro causal effect of making that synchronicity happen that if we don't go around and tell people about these synchronicities that we're experiencing with each other and via these things then those synchronicities might not happen have happened in the past and that sharing is part of the the mechanism and the magic of it all and i love that like i love that i there's do like too that's a, that's and, yeah I, I I may have not done justice to explaining his act because a much smarter person than I am as far as those things. Oh go. yeah, his book is not an easy one to get through. It, no, it's it's really good, but it's not it's it's yeah. not a light read. You can't. No, you know, so, Mothman Prophecies is like a a roller coaster. It's yes. amazing. You get sucked in because it tells a story. It's a narrative. But Eric Wargo, not a narrative. Mm -hmm. Um, but what he explains his concepts are very important and very interesting. And I like the idea that part of the experience of the synchronicity is sharing it with the other person. Also, because that's when you find out their synchronicity. Exactly. It, it, it's like a, a, a chain. 
it's it's yeah it's, it's very <laughs> weird it's very it. very strange yes i agree yeah. Yeah, i he, agree he, and the more that I like do podcasting and do projects with people, the more synchronicities happen yeah. around it. Me too. So yeah, it's, it's fun though. It's nice. Even so today I was driving uh, to uh, finish a mural I was working on and I saw a, um, Oh man, why did I just lose? What kind of big white water bird? Um, Gosh dang. Heron. Heron. I saw a big blue water bird. I'm sorry. I saw a blue heron on my way to pay, finish painting this mural today. And I mm -hmm. never see blue herons around us. Like we have a lot of them down at the beach and stuff. And I saw it and I was like, oh, that's weird. And I was like, huh, I should make a note of that. I never see that type of bird. And then I was just thinking, I was like, I should tell Barbara and ask her what that means. Because we've talked about bird sightings and uh, the significance of those. And and I probably would have not remembered to ask you about what that could, <laughs> what the significance of that would <laughs> if be. If you hadn't if we, thought of synchronicities. <laughs> and, and, and the uh, and the power of sharing them with, with friends. So, but yeah. Okay. So blue herons. Water birds are, are important anyway because they they connect air, earth, and water yeah. because they interact with all three. Um, blue herons, because they're blue, have a lot to do with the ideas of sky, of clouds, of weather. Uh, they are very, very patient birds like if you ever get a chance to watch them hunt they will stand so still as a shadow because they cast shadows on the water and if a shadow moves fish will swim away but fish like shadows because they think it hides them so <laughs> that bird will stand and cast a shadow and wait. And it'll let a, a fish come up and get in that shadow area and then it'll dart away. Even if he doesn't move because fish know, well, you know, shadows hide me, but I don't know. I don't know. It's close to the shore. I might be, I don't know. It's not, it's not safe, not safe. Oh, but there's really good algae over there. And that comes back and it starts to feed and the heron will not strike until it starts to feed. And as soon as it starts to feed, it will just down and nab it and throw its head back and eat it. Amazing. Eat it whole. Um, they're very smart. Uh, and they nest in trees. Whoa, those, those long birds nest in those trees? Those big birds nest in trees. Uh, one of my amazing. shamanic teachers... Uh, lived across the street from a, a tree that herons went to every year. It was the same family. Wow. And they used the same nest. They just kind of fix it up, you know, every year. And they are up there, you know, sitting on the nest. Wow. Turning the, and they talk. And then the babies, the babies are noisy. <laughs> and they clack their be beaks at mom and dad, you know, to feed them. It's, it's crazy. But, yeah, they live in trees when they're making babies that's amazing i had no clue uh, the well, the first one that i ever saw was actually flying down from a tree and i was like it's mothman oh my god <laughs> you know what is that what is that 
And you, because my, my grandparents had ponds, and mm-hmm. uh, so lots of migratory birds would come, and, and they'd have a heron every now and then. And yeah, the first time I saw one fly out of a tree, it was horrifying because, yeah. you know, that's a, that's a six-and-a-half-foot wingspan, at least. Big bird. Big and bird. And I was a small kid, you know, <laughs> yeah. like eight or something. I was down there <laughs> playing with frogs and stuff, and he'd... Flew low. Yeah, oh, that's definitely a monster. Thunderbird. Thunderbird. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh my god! <laughs> you know what's happening? Absolutely. Uh, I love and it. And then it saw that I was there and was like, "Oh, <laughs> can't hunt there." So it it flew to the other pond and landed there. Stupid kid. Yeah. God. <laughs> but um, interestingly, last last week, uh, Fox told me that when he and his dad went to uh, one of the college. Uh, tours, he saw a heron and uh, awesome. a hawk, and yeah, yeah. So we always bird watch on our on our trips. So that's always I've fun. Been paying more attention than other than ever after having those run-ins with that hawk, and like we still, this hawk just hangs out. We see him once a week now. Like he is in. Oh yeah, yeah. He's he's in our backyard. He'll land in the middle of our backyard just on the grass and just like sit there for like five or ten minutes and i'm like i've never seen like a bird of prey that's not like a vulture eating something just sit in the middle of a yard i'm like what are you doing back there and i don't know we got tons of bunnies and rabbits or bunnies and mices and all kinds of stuff for him to be going yeah but i really love having him here like every time i see him it's very special to me and like yeah yeah that heron popping up out of nowhere. I was like, I'm going to bring this up to Barbara. And I mean, what you just explained as far as the patience and the shadow, that, that, that applies in a lot of ways that's probably too complicated to get into right now. Since we've- <laughs> well, that it, it had meaning. So that that's important. Yes, yes that's it really important. did. I, and they're also gorgeous birds. Beautiful. I, I love watching them. They're, they're absolutely gorgeous. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Also, the very first wild turkey I saw was up in a tree. Um, That's hard. And I was in the wo- I was in the <laughs> woods by myself, and this big winged thing swooped over me, and I was ah oh oh okay okay I see what that is okay okay yeah I am still I remember going to the Adirondacks for the first time and just seeing just like roving groups of wild turkeys and being like people and it was just like in someone's yard they're just walking I'm like this is just how people live just giant turkeys walking all over and yep, man yep. they are noisy and don't seem to care much about anything going on around them <laughs> but their babies are the cutest things have you ever seen turkey no bolts? oh my oh, god they're I so have cute to now so if you if you live near a feed store that has um chicks in the spring you could you could try and see if they get turkeys all right i'm gonna check because they out. are the cutest baby dinosaurs ever they oh, are adorable I and, love it. you know it was i have a turkey story so when fox was little little i think i think they were three we went to the the county fair because we live in an agricultural area and i'm you know i grew up with farm stuff i was a farm kid so i'm all excited you're gonna get to see cows and calves and chickens and ducks and you're gonna see all these things the very first thing we we walk up upon were turkeys and there were some that were the the wild colored ones the bronze 
-hmm. they're called bronzes when they're domesticated and then there were the white ones and the kid <laughs> i go right up to him and my squat dad and i'm talking to him in their their language i always talk to animals in their language if i can and so we're making noises at each other and they are noisy as you said <laughs> big I wasn't thinking. I was like, come here, come here, come look at the turkeys. And, no, no. And Zach was like, oh my God, look at them. Like, look at them from the eyes of someone who has never mm -hmm. seen them. And I looked and I'm like, oh, oh yeah, they are kind of scary looking. They got the, all this stuff on their throat, all these different colors. They got blue and red and all mm -hmm. that. And they, mm, yeah, okay, okay, kid, okay. It's not okay. <laughs> we'll 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 find something else that you might like. Uh, let's see. It didn't work with the cows. They're really big. Um, you know, I feared nothing large when I was a kid. I, yeah. I didn't care. I loved all the animals. So <laughs> yeah, who would have thought? So the cows were bad. No cows. No cows. <laughs> Tried to put them on the back of a pony. Oh my god. No. screams and howls there was to be none of that i was like okay none of that okay um let's see let's go see he liked the pigs there you because go because they were shorter than him <laughs> i love that that is perfect kid logic right there you can't you can't beat that it was amazing yeah. he was so cute he's like piggies piggies oh they're pink piggies <laughs> it's just like oh. i love oh it oh god that's so funny <laughs> zach looked looked at him and said see you want all these livestock and stuff our kid would be terrified <laughs> like, okay you got me on that you know <laughs> can't argue with that that's no, too funny cannot cannot well all right we've been talking for a little bit is there anything else you want to bring up now that we've gone into livestock <laughs> and, and, and now we're, we're I, far afield? You know, I I don't think there's anything else in particular I have. I mean, yeah, I, this was a blast. Thank you so much for, for having me on. And I've been, I mean, I've been a huge fan of your work. Oh, Barbara, I wanted to ask what? you something. So okay. I told you I read uh, your chapter in Deep Weird, right? And I yeah. love I and I listened to your bit on uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Jack Hunter's uh, YouTube series, too. And mm -hmm. it was actually listening to that that clicked. And I was like, oh, Project Hera has a lot of like really interesting implications and ways that like I I've thought about it could answer questions that I've thought about a lot. So one of the things I've thought about, cause I got back into this stuff, listening to paranormal podcasts, pretty much like yeah. I listened to tons of them and I'm always like, is it the same people sending all of their like experience or stories? Like it'd be really cool to see somebody do like a meta analysis of podcast, like paranormal podcast experience or stories this is essentially what I'm getting yeah. at. And like yeah. doing what you did with like project Hera, but applied to, what you do and all these amazing podcasts that are gathering these, uh, you know, modern mythology and folklore and like all this stuff. That's like, it'd be really cool to see that be analyzed the way that you explain in your chapter that you're doing with, uh, Robert, uh, that Rosales would be work cool. and everything. And I was wondering, have you yeah. ever thought about that, that type of thing? Like this I have wealth of I have. stories. I have, um, 
Okay, so I, I want to do a book about anomalous light phenomena. I'm already gathering stories from my podcast. I have permissions from Soraya and um, Tim. So those two podcasts Got are going to get pulled in and, um, you know, transcribed and, and used in because I really want to use not as many of the older experiences of yeah. anomalous light phenomena. I, I want to use some of them and there are so many, <laughs> but I also want to use stuff that's never been published before and look at how it's the same or how it's changed. Look at the, a little bit about the demographics, yeah. you know, um, because I, I can tell you just about everybody has had some weird light thing. Mm -hmm. You know, if they, if they are a one-time experiencer, there's probably a light in there. If they're a, a multiple experiencer, like um, I am, Tim is, like you are, all these people, there's always lights, always. Always. Maybe not in every experience, but they will come back around. Yep. And, and some experiences are, you know, huge with lights. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I am going to do some of it with this, this book project, but I think it would be really cool to gather up, like, I don't know, Sasquatch Chronicles. Yeah. And gather up all of their Sasquatch stuff. Totally. Because the, some of that stuff is amazing. Yeah. You know, and it, it's just amazing. And, and just transcribe and then go through and do a folkloric analysis where you take the motifs yeah. that, you know, I mean, I don't have a folklore um, <laughs> degree, but, and I'm not going to get one because it's <laughs> not. Um, but I do know how it works. You yeah. know, I know the concept of the motifs and the, you know, how to categorize them. So totally. that would be so much fun. It'd be super interesting. I think a lot about like uh, kind of, the global narrowing of the imagination in certain ways that is uh, predominantly, I guess you can see in like pop culture and the way that there's yeah. just like, uh, you know, old entity or old um, properties being reinvested in and all this stuff. But at that same time, there's all of this novel content being created that is the podcasting community that is like all of these things that the you, youtubers uh, that, that, yeah yep. and all of this stuff that like it, it represents the other end of it it represents the other mm -hmm. stuff that's not just more star wars and more whatever they're yeah. reinvesting in and there's got to be something in there that's valuable to how this phenomenon is being reflected today to me. Like there's got to yeah. be some kind of juice there that I don't know how you get to it, but yeah, reading your chapter and listening to you talk about it made me think like, this seems like it's applicable in some way. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. It would be, it would be fascinating to go through all of these podcasts and there are guests that do repeat on shows, but I mean, I recognize them. It's not, yeah, you, can, uh, yeah. you know, you know, it's not that hard. Um, but it, it, there's a lot of people who, you know, appear on one podcast and, and that's it. You, you know? never hear from them again. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, Sasquatch Chronicles is, is really good for that. You know, yeah. they, they have people maybe who come back a second time when something else happens, but most of the time it's a, a one and done mm -hmm. kind of thing.
yeah. a one-off and uh you know and and yeah maybe that's that's our imagination ignoring hollywood and the strictures of hollywood and publishing yeah and we've gone back to sharing stories around the fire essentially mm -hmm. that i mean that's what podcasting is yeah it's it's storytelling exactly um and so that would be a, a very interesting compare and contrast something like i don't know find what is it the bigfoot hunting show um finding bigfoot or whatever yeah whichever one <laughs> um you know compare that and then all of these other stories and then see oh, yeah you know do, are these different motifs are these the same things what's what's happening how is totally. it you know are are the bigfoot stories following the finding bigfoot kind mm -hmm. of narrative where it is a living ape is yep. that where people are going or are we going over here and there's orbs and and the weird Bigfoot. noises and music and things happening that yeah you know <laughs> bigfoot and then there was a ufo and <laughs> you know what are we going to do with this you know in the old days before stan gordon people went bigfoot ufo well which one am i writing about because i'm Separate. only going to write yep. about one <laughs> I, I I'm studying UFOs. Don't tell me about that hairy guy. He did not come from a UFO. <laughs> or you can say it, but I'm not going to write that part down. I'm going totally. to stick with the UFO. No, that would be so interesting to see because I definitely have a knee-jerk reaction to say everything's getting weirder. So why wouldn't that be reflected in our cryptid encounters or our UFO encounters or whatever anomalous being you're you're encountering? everything's weirder these days my interaction with my neighbors are weirder these days like i know so right <laughs> it would line up it would line up to me that our interaction with this timeless other would also be weirder in certain ways but who knows there, you know there's so much emergent folklore too like flannel man oh yeah what the, yeah. yeah what lumberjack dude okay all right and these things are being put like I thought about flannel man just the other day because I was rewatching the newest season of Twin Peaks and like in the big uh, episode everyone talks about episode eight I think it is the flannel dirty men are a big part of that storyline and I don't think it yeah. was a, a mistake that they were put in flannel and like I think there's mm -hmm. I think the way that these motifs get recognized by almost the underground by people like Tim Renner and put into these mm -hmm. books that are they get eventually moved up the chain to people like david lynch who put them into uh -huh. these giant works and then i love seeing the flow of those ideas and sometimes i think it goes the other way too sometimes i think people yep. take ideas from the big culture and put it into the small culture very effectively but yeah it's a very symbiotic relationship that would be really interesting to kind of dive down into in that kind of like metadata analysis way and yeah oh I love yeah that. that would be great that would be great yeah and the thing that I like about the whole idea that, you know, how are these, how are these stories structured? How do they reflect our common idea? You know, the X-Files mm -hmm. idea, uh, the close encounters of the third kind ideas, the, the communion ideas, you know, the Bud Hopkins ideas and Dave um, Jacobs, uh, John Max ideas, you know, <laughs> how many, I mean, I just had my first, I just recorded my first 
um, abduction story from a listener. I've been communicating with them over a year, talking back and forth. Um, it was the hardest thing I have ever recorded I because it, there's, there's stuff in there. It's raw. It's, it's, and it's hard. And it was hard for him to, to, to talk about. It was just as hard for me to listen. But there's so much in there and the insight that he had come out of it with. I mean, cause there's parts of it. This is absolutely horrifying. You know, just, I, I, I like, you know, I came out of there. I was, I think we talked for two and a half hours and I came out and, and my husband looked at me and he's like, what happened? <sighs> because I was just like, I, yeah. you know, I had the bug eyes, you know, I have little tiny eyes. So when they bug out, you, you know, something <laughs> Everyone happened. knows. I know it helped him to, to have a person listen to the whole thing beginning to end. You know, because he he worked himself up to tell it. He he took notes. He, you know, thought about it, and and worked it through. There's parts. There were some parts he he edited out himself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there are parts I wish he had, but just because <laughs> of my comfort, I felt I felt you know really yeah. just no absolutely bad as someone who has ptsd i could recognize it in him yeah and i was like oh my god this is just this is wrenching but it doesn't really fit exactly any of the storylines hmm. that go with our ideas of what abduction is what ufo abduction is what alien abduction is there were motifs but the way it was put together was different and the point that came out of the story was actually a beautiful point but wow. all of it up to that point was just horrifying i mean this is going to be the an episode the first time i'm going to say do not let children listen to this this is for <laughs> mature audiences only wow. listen to it with headphones okay um, and don't let your kids hear it this isn't just a spooky story this wow. is serious stuff and it is it goes along with um what Ann Streber said, this has to do with something we call death. Mm -hmm. Because, and, and, and what she didn't add, and rebirth and birth, because that's the other side of it. It is. And I started digging around into some symbolism from the images, and I'm just like, <sighs> you know, this is this. So I have this feeling that a lot of the abduction stories in a lot of ways that don't get told are the ones that are like his, that are different, that yeah. don't follow that narrative flow. Mm -hmm. And they may not be recognized yeah, really for what it is. And you know, there are motifs that, you know, same thing from the 17th century fairy abductions. 
you know, so there's stuff that's in there that's recognizable, but the way it's put together and the way it's structured, it's very different. Uh, that sounds wild. I'm I'm very excited and nervous to hear this episode, Barbara. <laughs> that sounds I like know. a... Yeah, that's, I know. <laughs> there is I mean, a part of me that's like, did the computer screw it up? Maybe. Did it? No, because then I'd have to listen to it again because I really... He really wants other people to hear it yeah. so that if they experience something like that, they will be able to talk with him. He's he's set up an email address. That's awesome. For listeners so that they can contact him and still keep his name private because it's one of those stories that you know, I can see why he didn't tell anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's just too oh my god. You know, I mean when I told my dad about the weird little lights in my house floating around and he was like, you know, if that ever happened to me, I would never tell anybody. I was like, <laughs> you know, and I'm listening to, to this, the story and I'm like, dad, you don't even have a clue. Jesus. <laughs> like, this is, <laughs> this is out there. And, and not that I didn't believe him. I did. Yeah. He had every emotional mm-hmm. sign of having lived it. Did you say he ended like he landed in a good place with it? Like he like it it ended yeah. with a like after all of the trouble yeah. troublesome experience. Wow, yeah, that's that's super interesting. That's I yeah, yeah. that that's I like was e- figuring something horrible. You know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was going. I'm like, oh, oh my god, yeah. oh my god, where is this going to end? Oh my god, yeah, it's going to be death. Oh, but no. there. It it was it was different than I expected. I'm I'm very interested in hearing this now. That's and I, I think that's almost even more important to put out there, these stories where they are very traumatic and hard to get through, but have that that um resolution or I don't know if it is a resolution, but have that kind of positive end because I think that's important for people that are going through the not positive part right now to hear. Yeah, because that that yeah, that there may be a meaning that comes about. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, totally. Through this process. Yeah. But man, yeah. it's just oof. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, that's that's going to be coming up. Very so. well. I will definitely be looking forward to that. And uh, were you listening with the headphones on? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't want your kids. No. So- how no. how often do you get people to reach out to you as far as experience, like wanting to share their experiences? It started to speed up to some extent. Um, there for a while, it was like maybe once a month, but now I'm starting to get a, a bigger group of people. Um, and, you know, people people will, you know, contact me and want to talk with me, but they don't necessarily want it recorded. Like this Mm -hmm. person for a year, we've been talking back and forth. And because there were, there were things that I experienced with the little lights in my house that, you know, he had also experienced and he was blown away because he did not know that somebody else had seen something to that effect. Um, and and he was just oh oh my god you know 
And in his case, it ended with uh, UFO abduction scenarios. In mine, it was just lights being weird, you know, <laughs> and me communicating with them. Um, so I, I feel, you know, lucky after yeah. hearing his story. But again, that to me, I'm like, it all starts with a light, doesn't it? It does. Hmm. It really does. The lights are there. That's, uh, yeah, that's there. Ever since we've talked and you've put that in my head, I hear it everywhere. It's so funny. Like every paranormal uh, thing I hear, I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, there's the light. <laughs> yep. There it is. There it is. Um, you don't have to look too far. <laughs> it's always there. <laughs> Definitely. Awesome. Well, I'm sorry if I just made this go way longer by asking those, uh, those questions, but that was on my brain for a minute and I've been meaning to ask you and I keep forgetting to ask you in our group chat. So <laughs> oh, <laughs> might as well right. do it on air. <laughs> that's right. Well, it's a, it's a question that's, you know, other people might have. So it's always good. Yay. And yeah, don't worry about it. Our, our episodes go however far they go. I so. know. That's why I love I that they're my favorite type of podcast. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, we're still talking. So there you go. <laughs> yep. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you for coming on the show. I had a great time. Me too. Thank you for having me, Barbara. This was a true pleasure. Seriously. I, I'm very excited to have shared this conversation with you. I had a blast. Excellent. Well, hopefully I'll have you back for a panel discussion or something anytime all right well thank you well that's all for this week's episode of the six degrees of john keel podcast if you have any questions or thoughts about the podcast or would like to come and talk about your experiences of the paranormal you can contact us at 6djk67 at gmail.com we promise to even answer you and we are always happy to hear from you Thank you.